Section two of the Doctor's Christmas Eve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Doctor's Christmas Eve by James Lane Allen. Section two. When a boy finds out about his father. Part one. On the day preceding that 24th of December, when his two weatherproof, untrammelled children were rioting over the frozen earth, Dr. Burney met with an event which may here be set down as casting the first direct light upon him. Some reflected radiance may already have gone glancing in his direction from the luminous prattle of his offspring. Some obscure glimpses must therein have bodied him forth, and the portraits that children unconsciously paint of people, what trained hand ever drew such living lines? A short stretch across the country from his comfortable manor house, there towered in stateliness one of the finest homesteads in this region, and in the great bedroom of this house, in the mother's bed, there had lain for days one of his patients critically ill, the only child of an intense mother who was herself no longer young. Early that morning, upon setting out, he had driven rapidly to this house, gotten quickly out, and been quickly received through the front door, thrown open to admit him. After examining the child, he had turned to the mother and spoken the words that are probably the happiest ever to fall from any tongue upon any ear. He is out of danger. He is getting well. At this intelligence, the mother forgot the presence of another mother older than herself, who had come to be with her during these vigils and anxieties. As the doctor, having spoken a few words to the nurse, passed out into the hall toward the hat-rack, she led him into the parlours. She pulled him down into a chair beside the one she took. She caught his hand in hers and drew it into her lap. She forgot that, after all, she was a woman and he was a man. She remembered only that she was a mother and he a physician and unnerved by the relief from days and nights of tension, she poured out her quivering gratitude. The doctor, with a warm light in his eyes, listened, and he was flushed with pleasure also at his skill in bringing his case through, but she had scarcely begun before his expression showed embarrassment. Gratitude rendered him ill at ease. Who can thank science? Who can thank a man for doing his duty and his best? With a smile of deprecation, he interrupted. A great surgeon of France centuries ago was accustomed to say of a convalescent patient, God cured him, I dressed him. I do not know whether, if I dared speak for the science of medicine near the close of the 19th century, I could say that. That is not the language of science now. If science thanks anything, it thanks other sciences and respects itself. But I will say that I might not have been able to save the life of your son if he had not been a healthy child and a happy one For happiness in a child is of course one of its signs of health in His case I did not have to treat a patient with a disease I had merely to treat a disease in a patient and there is a great difference the patient kept out of the case altogether or in so far as he entered it he entered it as my assistant, but if he had not been healthy and happy, the result might have been, well, different. The mother's face became more radiant. 
If his health and happiness helped him through, she exclaimed, then his mother enters into the case. For his health was his birthright from his parents, and his happiness, on account of the absence of his father during most of his life when he has been awake, has been a gift from his mother. He has lived with happiness. Happiness has been before his eyes. Happiness has filled his ears. Happiness has held him in its arms. Happiness has danced for his feet. Happiness has rocked him to sleep. Happiness has smiled over him when he awoke. He has not known anything but happiness, because happiness has been his mother. And so, if he owes the preservation of his life to happiness, he owes it to the instinct of maternal imitation. The doctor had heard this caroling of maternity with full approval, this heaven-rising skylark song of motherhood. But at the last sentence he pricked up his ears with disfavour and stopped smiling. With him these were marks that he had withdrawn his intellectual fellowship. The trouble was that he esteemed her a charming and irreproachable woman and wife and mother, but that he could accord her no rank as a scientist, no standing whatsoever, and therefore he must part company with her when she spoke for instincts. The instinct of maternal imitation, the vanity of it, that her sex could believe a child to be sent into this world by the great mother of all wisdom and given so poor a start as to be placed under the tyranny of an instinct to imitate any other imperfect human being man or woman perhaps it was one of his weaknesses when he came upon a case of folly to wish to perform an operation in mental surgery at once and without anaesthetics in order that the wide-awake intelligence of the sufferer might be enlisted against the recurrence of such a necessity in a tone of affectionate forbearance he now said if only there were any such thing in nature as the instinct of maternal imitation children have enough instincts to battle with and fight their way through as it is let me beg of you not to teach your child anything as criminally wrong as that and don't you be so criminally wrong as to believe it the mother's countenance fell she released the doctor's hand and pushed her chair back and she brushed out her lap with both hands as though her words might somehow have fallen into it and she did not wish them to remain there she spoke caustically no intimate sacred bond between mother and child which guides it to imitate her she felt as though he had attacked the very citadel of motherhood as though he had overthrown the tested and adopted standards of universal thinking the very basic idea of existence and she recoiled from this as a taint of eccentricity in him that early death now of a physician's usefulness but the doctor swept her words away with gay warmth oh there is an intimate sacred bond of course no doubt the most intimate the most sacred in this world believe in that all you can the more the better but we are not speaking of that that has nothing to do with this imagined instinct of maternal imitation don't you know that a foundling in a foundling asylum as instinctively imitates its nurse don't you know that a child as instinctively imitates its stepmother if it loves her don't you know that a child as instinctively imitates its grandmother the mother lay back in her chair and looked at him without a word but then dr burney could be rude curt brutal in proof of which he now leaned over toward her and continued with more gentleness 
do you not know that every child in this world begins its advance into life by one path only the path of least resistance and its path of least resistance is paved and lined with what it likes as soon as it can do anything for itself it tries to do what it likes and it never tries to do anything else when later on a time comes when it can be persuaded to do a thing that it has already desired not to do then its will comes into the case it ceases to be simply a little animal and becomes a little human being it begins to be moral and heroic instead of unmoral and unheroic but we are not talking about that the best we can do is to call those earliest movements of its life the reaching out of its instincts and its taking hold of things that are like its own leading traits the parallel is in nature where the tendril of a vine takes hold of the matured branch of the same vine and pulls itself up by this thus one generation knits itself to another through the binding of like to like and that is the whole bond between mother and child of father and child it is like attaching itself to like under the influence of love in this world every subject has two doors you open one and the good things come out you open the other and the evil things come out this subject has its two doors and i open the first door of mother of pearl for you two pearls of mothers out of it comes all the exquisite radiant traits that bind mothers and children how many great men in history have begun their growth by attaching themselves to the great traits of their mothers then there is the other door i am sorry to open it but whether i open it or not opened it will be the door of ebony behind which are imprisoned all the dark things that bind parents and children i am afraid i shall have to illustrate if a child is born mendacious and its mother has mendacity as one of her leading traits its little mendacity will flourish on her large mendacity if it is born deceitful and hypocrisy is one of her traits hypocrisy in it will pull itself up by taking hold of hypocrisy in her if it is born quick-tempered and if ungovernable temper is one of her failings every exhibition of this in her will foster its impatience and lack of self-control these are some few of the dreadful things that come out and if it is dreadful even to speak of them think how much more dreadful to see them alive and to see them at work now let's shut the dark door and let us hope that some day nature herself may not be able to open it ever again hitherto the older of the two mothers the mother of many children had remained silent with that peculiar expression of patience and sweetness which lies like a halo on the faces of good women who have brought many children into the world she now spoke as if to release many thoughts weighing heavily upon her it has always been my trouble not that my children would not imitate me but that they would imitate me i have many faults for i am human and i can endure them as long as they remain mine they have ceased to give me much concern i suppose in a way i have grown attached to them just as i like people whom i do not entirely approve but as soon as i see the children reproducing my faults these become responsibilities they keep me awake at night sometimes they distress me almost beyond endurance i know i have spent many anxious years with this problem and i know also that the only times 
when their father has been over-anxious about his failings, has been when the boys have imitated him. He is always ready to leave a splendid attack on his faults, and they march at him from the direction of the boys. And so, said the doctor, laughing, this instinct of parental imitation is an instrument safe to take by the handle and dangerous to grasp by the blade. He knew fathers in the neighborhood who were dreading the time when their sons might begin to imitate them too far, and other fathers dreading the hour when their sons might cease to imitate their sires and wander away, preferably to imitate persons outside the family connection, possibly an instinct of non-parental imitation. He rose to go in a mood of great good nature and looked from one to the other of the two mothers. Perhaps nature protected children from the dangers of imitating by not making it their duty to imitate, and perhaps, as all parents are imperfect human beings, she may have thought it simple justice to children to confer upon them the right to be disobedient. At least, if there is an instinct to obey, it is backed up with an equal instinct not to obey, and the two seem to have been left to fight it out between themselves and that perhaps is the great battlefield where incessant fighting goes on between parents and children and at least disobedience has been of equal value with obedience in the making of human history in the development of the race for if children had simply obeyed their parents if the young had been born merely to ape the old there never would have been any human young and old we should all still be apes even if we had developed as far as that you two ladies, of course, with greatly modified features, might be throwing coconuts at each other on the tops of two rival palm trees. Or, as the dutiful daughters of dutiful mothers, you might be taking afternoon naps in an oasis of dates, all because of that instinct of maternal imitation. He hurried out to the hat-rack, making his retreat at the top of his own high spirits, they following and with one glove on, he held out his hand to the mother of the sick boy. I'll come in the morning to see how he is, and to see how his mother is. Now shake hands and say I have been a good doctor to you both. The mother's reply showed that bitterness rankled in her, as she yielded her hand coldly. Even if you have tried to destroy for me the intimate sacred bond between a mother and her child, I don't think you will be able to deny that my boy is a healthy and happy child, because he is a child of a perfect marriage. And she looked with secret and shaded import at the other mother. As the doctor drove out of the yard, her last words lingered, the healthy children of a perfect marriage. And the look the two mothers had exchanged, it was as though each had a sword in her eye and touched him with the point of it, hinting that he merited being run through. How often during these years he had encountered that same look from other mothers of the neighborhood. But if a wound like that could have been fatal, he reflected, if a wound like that could have finished me, I should not have been here to save the life of her boy. He would have been dead this morning. Then his mind, under the rigor of long training, passed to happier subjects. His success in the case of this child was one more triumph in the long list. It renewed his grip on power within him. But for the necessity to provide for a people the services of general practitioner, Dr. Burney would have made a specialty of children's diseases. The happiest moment he experienced in his profession was a day such as this when he could announce the triumph of his skill and the saving of a young life.
There was no sadder one than any day on which he walked out of the sick chamber and at the threshold met the gaunt ancient presence waiting to stalk in and take the final charge of the case given up by the vanquished physician and when a few days later he sat in his buggy on the turnpike at the end of a procession his healthy little patient stretched prostrate at the other end he driving there as the public representative of a science that was ages old and that had gathered from all lands the wisdom of the best minds but was still impotent on such a day he went down to his lowest defeat he had such a faith in the future of his science that he looked forward to the time when there would be no such monstrous tragedy on this planet as infant mortality no healthy child would ever be allowed to die of disease disease would never be permitted to reach it or reaching it would be arrested as it arrived the vast multitude of physicians and surgeons now camped around the morning of life waiting to receive the incoming generations on the rosy mountain tops of its dawn nearly all these would be withdrawn they would move across the landscape of the world and pitch their tents on the plains of waning daylight there to receive the ragged and broken army that came staggering from the battlefield every soldier more or less wounded every soldier more or less weary there to give them a twilight of least suffering their sundown of peace and there to arrange that the great dark gates closed on them softly the conversation that morning disclosed among other facts the secret dread of dr burney's life that the time would come when his children especially his boy might begin to imitate him more than he desired for a long time now he had kept under closest observation the working out in each of them of the law of like attaching itself to like for already this had borne fruit for both on the vine of his own profession a physician in a city may practice his profession with complete segregation from the members of his family his office may be miles away if he sees his patients at his house his children are kept in another part of it but out in the country the whole house is open the children rove everywhere if their father is a physician they know when he starts and when he returns and there is displayed in full view the entire drama of his life and his life is twofold for the physician must demonstrate as no member of any other profession is required to that whoever would best serve mankind must first best serve himself in this service he must reach a solution of the selfish and the unselfish he must reconcile the world's two warring philosophies of egoism and altruism the outside world has its attention fixed solely upon the drama of the physician's public service to it for the members of his own family is reserved acquaintance and the drama of his devotion to himself well for him and well for them if they do not misunderstand each of dr burney's children responded to the attraction of a phase of his life the phase that appealed to a leading trait in each from the time of the little girl's beginning to observe her father she was influenced by what looked to her like his self-love his care about what he ate and drank his changing of his clothes whenever he came home whether they were drenched or were dry his constant washing of his hands all this pageant of self-adulation mirrored itself in her consciousness when he was away from home she could still follow him by her mother's solicitude for his comfort and safety to Elsie's mother the ill were not so much a source of anxiety as a husband who was perfectly well 
and thus there had been built up in Elsie herself the domineering idea that her father was the all-important personage in the neighborhood, as a consequence of thinking chiefly of himself. Selfishness in her reached out and twined itself like a tendril about selfishness in him, and she proceeded to lift herself up and grow by this vital bond. Too young to transmit this resemblance, she did what she could to pass it on to the next generation. She handed it down and disseminated it in her dollhouse. There was something terrifying and grim and awful in the fatalistic accuracy with which Elsie reproduced her father's selfishness among her dolls, because it was on a mimic scale what is going on all over the world. The weaving by children's fingers of parental designs long perpetuated in the tapestry of nature, the same old looms, the same old threads, the same old designs, but new fingers. One of the dolls was known as the doctor, the others were members of his family and his domestics. This puppet was a perfect child image of the god of self-idolatry, as set up in the person of a certain Dr. Downs Burney, and as observed by his very loyal and most affectionate and highly amused daughter Elsie. One day, the doctor quietly passing the open door of the nursery, saw Elsie on the floor, with her back turned to him faithfully copying and dramatizing some of the daily scenes of his professional life. His eyes shone with humor as he looked on, but there was sadness in them as he turned silently away. With the boy it was otherwise. The earliest notion of his father the boy had grasped was that of always traveling toward the sick, to a world that needed him. All the roads of the neighborhood, turnpikes, lanes, carriage tracks, wagon tracks, footpaths, met at his father's house. If you followed any one of them long enough, sooner or later you would reach someone who was sick. When he was quite young, his father began to take him in his buggy on his circuits, and at every house where they stopped, he witnessed this never-ending drama of need and aid. Such countenances people had as they followed his father out to the buggy, where he was holding the reins. Such happy faces, or oh, so sad, so sad. Souls hanging on his father's word as though life went on with it, or went to pieces with it. Actually, his father had no business of his own. He merely drove about and enabled other people to attend to their business. He one day asked him why he did not sometimes do something for himself and the family. Thus, a leading trait in him gripped that branch of his father's life, where hung his service to others. And by this vital bond, it lifted itself up and began to flourish in its long travel toward maturity. He literally took hold of his father as a social implement by the well-worn handle of common use. His presence in the buggy with his father was not incidental. It was the doctor's design. He wished to have the boy along during these formative years in order that he might get the right start toward the great things of life as these one by one begin to break in upon the attention of a growing boy. The doctor wanted to be the first to talk with him the first to sow the right suggestions. It was one of his sayings that the earliest suggestions rooted in the mind of the child will be the final things to drop from the dying man's brain. What goes in first comes out last. And so there began to be many conversations, incredible questions, answers not always forthcoming, and a series of revelations ensued. 
the boy revealing his growth to a watchful father and the father revealing his life to a very watchful son these revelations began to look like milestones on life's road marked with further understandings thus one day when the boy was a good deal younger than now his father had come home and had gotten ready to go away again and was sitting before the fire looking gravely into it and taking solitary counsel about some desperate case as the country doctor must often do being a very little fellow then he had straddled one of his father's mighty legs and had balanced himself by resting his hands on his father's mighty shoulders is somebody very sick the head under the weather-roughened hat nodded silently i wonder how it happens that all the sick are in our neighborhood a smile flitted across the doctor's mouth the sick are in all neighborhoods little wanderer he said this cheerfully it was his idea and he tried to enforce it at home that young children must never if possible make the acquaintance of the words bad and sad nor of the realities that are masked behind them he especially believed that what the old are familiar with as life's tragic laws ought never to be told to children as tragic what is inevitable should never be presented to them as misfortunes end of section two